This week on the Men at the Movies podcast, we explore the epic movie Gladiator. We compare and contrast Maximus and Commodus as reflections of our own hearts. How can we move from Commodus who've chased love and validation from the crowd depending on them to tell him who he was? How can we become more like Maximus who knew his identity and had a home worth fighting for? We're going deep. Join us as we discover God's truth in this movie. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story, the story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Hello and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name is Paul McDonald, and joining me from Colorado is Pablo Saron. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So I'm very excited. We are, uh, I know Pablo through uh, the Become Good Soil with Morgan Snyder that we've we've talked about several times on the podcast. And um, so we were connected through the Slack and through emails and stuff. And so we've been trying to get together for a couple of months now. Yes. So I'm, I'm very happy to, to finally get, not just get together with Pablo, but also to talk about the movie Gladiator. But before we get started, I do want to say, because Pablo is interrupting a very special time. He had a very special time last week that I wanted him to share and explain about before we get kicked off talking about the movie, because this is his sort of his second honeymoon. So, so Pablo, would you tell us the story of that of how this is sort of the middle of your honeymoon. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up, uh, Paul. Yes. Uh, I was married to my beautiful wife, Juanita in the year 2001, and we just celebrated 20 years of marriage. Now through our marriage, we have experienced deep pain. And uh, initially in the first few years of marriage, we harmed each other pretty deeply. And uh, we were almost at the verge of a divorce and God came through his restoration of my heart and the restoration of her heart. He came and gave us so much grace and uh, restored our marriage in beautiful ways. So right now, 20 years into our marriage, I can say that we are at the best place we've ever been. And I am not only, not only do I love her deeply, more deeply than ever before, but I am in love with her. And so a couple of months ago, I, in preparation for our 20th anniversary, I um, went down on my knees and I proposed to her again. I wanted to marry her again uh, because as our friend Morgan has uh, <laughs> joked with both of us at some point, um, not only men who get a divorce and then get remarried should have that privilege. <laughs> and hoping that my second wife likes me better than my first. And so she said, yes. <laughs> And uh, we just came back from a beautiful trip in Florida where we uh, got married on the beach with the, in the company of close friends and family mm. and uh, our kids, our boys. And uh, it was beautiful. It was completely redemptive. And we got to celebrate God's work in our lives, how love wins, how life wins for me, for her, and for everyone who says yes to, to, to our Father God. Mm. And we're there. We're enamored and we are uh, in a romantic sort of honeymoon, but we're back home and we are <laughs> engaging with the world now. <laughs> that's a, that's a tough, tough transition. Um, so I, I love that story. As we mentioned, and as we're going to see in this movie, you know, when we look back 
at the early years of, of marriage and relationships and who we were 10 to 20 years ago, yes. it's very different than from who we are today. If we talk about the wild at heart or the become good soil guys a lot on this podcast, it's because me and a lot of the guys that I talk with, we've had our lives, we've, we've been introduced to a whole different God to whole different relationship with God than we had with as younger men. Yes. 100%. The way I would describe it is uh, I received Jesus when I was eight, prayed to receive the Lord, and, and I could feel and ex experience his presence with me. I knew he was with me. But my experience of um, the life with God was following rules and trying to be a, a nice, a good, a good man and try harder and yeah. try harder and then falling at it and failing at it and not understanding really why my desires, my passions, my longings were not sufficient. And then, as you're saying, being introduced to this beautiful message of the treasures of the kingdom of God and how Christianity is not just hell insurance, it's not just <laughs> being saved so that, okay, at least when I die, I know where I'm going, but it is discovering, entering through the you know wardrobe to Narnia and yeah. uncovering these endless treasures that have brought life to new levels of vibrancy and, and, and joy and peace and a whole transformation from the inside out as you were as you were calling out so yes eternally grateful to our friends at Wallet Heart and Become Good Soil for what they have done and how they have uh, introduced us to the real Jesus yeah 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 that's a big big differentiator between the the Jesus that gets portrayed on in media and on the news and the one that we actually know <laughs> yes oh yes so Pablo, you, you said, um, I can't remember the first one you, you wanted to, the first movie you wanted to do, but it would, it had already been taken. It yes. might've been Walter Mitty. Was it Walter Mitty? Yeah. I think it was Walter Media or the matrix we talked about initially. Yeah. And I've got uh, my, my guy who's, who I promised the matrix, the matrix is his favorite movie. And, and yeah. he is the guy who leads our boot camp style events here in Charlotte. So it was like, as soon as I started this podcast, I was like, dude, I want to get you let's talk about the matrix. And that, as we talked about, that may be a five hour conversation. Oh yeah. <laughs> so then, um, some time went on and, and, uh, you emailed and said, what about gladiator, which is probably on the short list of all the, you know, if you think about the, the typical guy movies, gladiators on the short list, it made Russell Crowe a super huge, big movie star. Cool. And so the question that we, we try to lead with, when I remember to ask it is, uh, Pablo, why did, why did you pick gladiator as the movie you wanted to talk about? Yeah. First off, I couldn't believe that no one had picked gladiator right. and <laughs> episode about it. It's a phenomenal movie. It's obviously one of these big epic movies that uh, we all love, but, um, I think beyond the quality of the cinematography and the epic scenes and all of that, which we love, it deals with deeper issues of the heart and it resonates with us as men in ways that um, in ways that many other movies actually don't or can accomplish. Uh, it poses the, the, the topic of identity and validation and how those can drive a man to, be, to become either a great man who brings his strength in love on behalf of the people that he cares for, that have been entrusted to him, or can drive a man to become pretty much a monster and just completely self-centered. And, um, and I love that because to be honest with you, I see 
in both the men that we're going to be talking about today, both Maximus and Commodus, a reflection of parts of my heart. Mm. How historically, even though I wanted to be like Maximus, I would find myself being a lot like Commodus. Yeah. And shame and the fear and the, the, the decisions that would harm me and harm the people that I loved or that were close to me. Uh, but over time, because of the journey of restoration that God has taken me through, I can say and I can see, thank God, more and more that that commonness in me is being dismantled so that the, the maximus in me can be, can be strengthened and, and be more predominant in my daily life. Mm-hmm. And seeing it, uh, you know, the, the movie came out in, two, in the year 2000. And seeing it now, I don't know after how many years, I still see that toggle within me. Yeah. But I see the the greater hope that the journey of restoration is uh, it's available, it's real, and that we get to become the man God created created us to be. We consent to that process of restoration that you and I are both a part of. So I love the movie because it's a perfect representation. Of, of an internal reality is this outward expression of that tug of war between what we describe as a false man mm-hmm. and the true man, the man that I have become as a result of my story and my wounds and what I have learned the world rewards me for or, or uh, punishes me for and therefore how I have constructed this persona to try to make life work. And then a second man who is really who God created me to be who has his answers, the answers to his questions found in God, and therefore can be, uh, can offer love sacrificially for, in, on behalf of the people he loves. And um, yeah, so I'm super honored to be here today and can't can wait to begin unpacking that through, through the movie. Yeah. And we're not, we're not going to go through the movie scene by scene. Although when I, when I did watch it the other day, I may have pulled about 20 clips and I was like, no, that is too many. I have to filter some of these out because there's just so many moments of, um, bigger picture of this idea of Rome, even as what is Rome and what do we pursue? And it's that larger story. We talk a lot, a lot about of, the bigger picture, you know, whatever it is you want to call it, that, that God's story in history, like yes. we, we ultimately play an important part, but our part is still small. Yes. You know, we live at a very small time, very short time when you compare it to the thousands, however you want to call the history of the world, the world's been around a long time and we take up a very small sliver of that. Yeah. agree. I actually love that you're starting with that, with creating context for what is the story that we find ourselves into. And that's how this, the, the movie actually begins. If the initial lines, right, describe Rome at the height of, of, of its power and how a quarter of the world, and it says, quote, lived or died under the rule of Caesar. So I, I, I had watched the movie a thousand times with a couple of nights ago when I watched it in preparation for today, I was struck with the amount of power that was given to one human being. One person had the right to decide life or death over a quarter of the planet. I don't want that kind of power. (laughs) There's no way that I could hold that, that I could handle that kind of power in a, in a whole way. In a whole with, with a whole heart that would crush me, and 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 so that sets sets the stage for what does it look like for a man to be entrusted with power, and what kind of man is is ready to to wield that power in love, 
and and that's that's what sets the stage for the movie, right? That's that's the beginning, and then the first scene is now Maximus is about to win this battle for the for the emperor for for Rome, and when we see the man, right? And I was struck by the combination of um, different ways in which they show how the people loved him. The soldiers honor him and respected yeah. him, not out of fear but out of love. He's a good man. Whoever this man is, he's gone through a journey of becoming this great general who loves his people well, right? It's, it's this uh, scene of desolation in the middle of, a, a, of this war against the barbarian tribes and everything is desolate and you see the mud and the gore, but then he stops to look at a little bird yeah. and smiles and then turns back to address his, his, his soldiers. So it's a man who lives from his heart. Is not just a warrior who is ready to kill, and and uh, is not the caricature of a man. He's a wholehearted man who goes both to bring his strength and to be intentional in his mission, but that can love and receive love well. That's the man that we encounter in Maximus. And you see that in when he speaks to his men right before they they charge off into battle. He, uh, as you mentioned, he shows him both his heart and his humor. He reminds them death isn't the biggest thing, right? but you know, one of those iconic lines he delivers. Three weeks from now, I will be harvesting my crops. Imagine where you will be. And it will be so. Hold the line. Stay with me. If you find yourself alone. Riding in green fields with the sun on your face. Do not be troubled. For you are in Elysium. And you're already dead. Brothers. What we do in life. Echoes in eternity. And I even love how that starts. He's like, three weeks from now, I'm going to be harvesting my, my crops. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea that we're going to talk a little bit more about with, with our, our next clip when, he, when he's talking to Marcus Aurelius. But this idea of home is where he fights from. Yes. Home is his center. He yes. knows where he came from and he knows where he's going. Yes. And that is what is most important to him is, is home. And he reminds them not just for himself. He says, this is my home, but think about wherever it is you're going to be three weeks from now. Death is not to be feared, but what you do today is going to echo in eternity. Oh my God. It's such a treasure there. And I wish that I had known that in my heart 20 years ago mm-hmm. when I started my marriage, because I was not fighting from home. I was actually out, out there trying to answer the questions of my heart for love and validation. And I was, I was everywhere but home. I spent all my time at work, trying to make life work, trying to make things work, to try to have the life that I thought I could have if I just worked harder, if I just accomplished more, if I tried one more day, one more hour, and I missed on the gold, and the gold was home. Yeah. Wow. And so the question becomes, as you mentioned, the scene starts, you're like, who is this guy? Hmm. How does he have this perspective? How does he, he's b- beloved by his men? He inspired his men, you know, as people come, you know, and even later in the movie, they're like, well, if they know their general is there, if they know I am, I will show up, they're leaders who have been placed by Commodus. 
they're going to ignore them. They're going to follow me because of who I am. Yes. And yet he's not doing it for their glory. He's not doing it for their acclaim. He's not doing it for their praise. He's really doing it because he's like, the faster I get done with the battle with my duty, then I can go back to my real duty. I can go back to where I can go back home. Yes, 100%. And it begins to show the difference between fighting from versus fighting for. And as they win the battle, Commodus arrives. Commodus mm. is the son of the emperor Marcus Aurelius, and he arrived at the battle late, right? And he yep. shows up, and they're all celebrating the battle already. And did I miss the battle? And his dad turns to him and he says, you, you have missed the war. Yeah. Right. And you begin to see, obviously, the, the tension between the two. And that establishes the, the contrast between Maximus, who is fighting from home, who knows who he is. He has a clear sense of identity. He's a father and he's a husband. And then we'll impact that later because when he reveals his true identity, those are the anchor points to that. Mm-hmm. I know who I am. I am the husband to my beloved wife and the father to my beloved son. And from that place, yes, I have a job. And yes, I have missions that I need to go accomplish. But my identity is rooted in something way greater. There is a greater story that I am a part of, even though conquering territories and countries and nations looks huge. That's actually a small story compared to the greater story that I am a part of. I am responsible for the hearts of the people that God has entrusted to me. And the first ones are my wife and my son. And we've heard the term, the resume traits and the eulogy traits. And I don't think trait is the right word, but there's things that look good on a resume and there's things that will be said at at your eulogy. And he does not seek the resume stuff. He's like, yeah, I'm the general. Yeah, this and that. It means nothing to him because what's important to him is, as you mentioned, the the husband to his wife, father to his son, harvesting the, the crops in three weeks. That's right. And then the contrast, though, is with Commodus, who hasn't taken the journey that that Maximus has taken. And from the first scene, you see the lack of love and validation from his father to him, right? The disappointment, almost, the the father to the son. And then from that void that he has in his soul, in his heart, that has not been filled by the, the rightful source of it, then he's looking to fill it in some other capacity. And the answer is power. If I have power and I can rule over the people, they will love me. They will fill this gap in my soul that I have. And, 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 and that sets the stage for this, this beautiful parallel between who, be, who Commodus has become and who he becomes and who Maximus is and, 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 and how he brings his, his power and his strength in love. Yeah, and, and there was a scene even before he gets there with, with Commodus and his sister where, he's, where her, his sister says, I'm tired of your schemes. You're scheming you know, the, the entire trip, which, you know, journeys took weeks. He's like the whole time you've been scheming and trying mm-hmm. to manipulate, but it was all, you know, over and over. The thing that struck me as I was watching the movie is if I do this, then they will love me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that, that is what you see in, in Commodus. And that's, as you mentioned, that's what we see in ourselves Yes, as we're chasing that to, to kind of satisfy that ache or soothe. I think soothe is a better word because we're trying to soothe our aching hearts. Yes. 
and, and the, the counseling word is attachment. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk, you know, it reminds me of the, the goodwill hunting scene is like, Oh, it's like, Will has an attachment disorder, <laughs> you know, with my horrible Boston accent, sure. but it's, it, it is an attachment disorder because we're looking for love. We're seeking it, but we're not seeking it in healthy ways. We're trying to manipulate the ones around us. And even when it's offered, we can't receive it. That's right. And how does that, uh, that the lack of attachment, proper attachment start in the movie? We see it in the relationship with the father, right? The relationship between oh. father and son, which we see, right? Marcos Aurelius and his son Commodus. But then we also see Marcus Aurelius treating Maximus as a son. He even calls him, you yes. are the son that I should have had. And that competition between the, the jealousy that Maximus begins to feel for uh, Maximus because he is receiving the love and the validation that we need to receive from a father. And he's seeing how Maximus himself is receiving it from his own dad who is withholding it from him. And Right? What yeah. that's, that's devastating at the level of the soul. And that's the, the mindset of someone like Commodus. And I, I, I related to Commodus as I watched this movie, because that's something, you know, I've, I've been in counseling for years and this is something that I, we've talked about because you, you approach it as it's a scarcity mindset. Yes. He loves Maximus, but he only has a limited amount. If he gives Maximus 80, you know, 80% of his love, well, he only has 20% for me, but it's not, it doesn't work like that. Not right. especially not with when we're talking about our relationship with God, right? There is no, there is no shortage. There is no lack. There's only abundance. But when we approach it as if like, if I say, well, Pablo, you got this attention or you got this great job or you got this money. Well, that means there's less for me. Hmm. And that's the way that somebody who has problems with attachment looks at it is it's all, it's a net, it's a balancing game. If yes. you have more, that means I have less. So I need to work harder, chase more, do more things so I can get those things that I need to soothe my soul. Which is exactly what's happening internally for commoners. What do I need to do to get what I believe is rightfully mine and is being given to this other guy who's not even his biological son? I am the rightful heir. And if there is for him, there is no for me. I will not allow that to happen. I will go to any extent to grab, to grasp for the power that I want and that I need, because if it isn't, it cannot be for him. It needs to be for him. And again, right, the, the comparison of the need for power on the side of Commodus and for Maximus, on the other hand, not wanting that yeah. power because he knows he has what he needs. At the level of the soul, he is full. He's not living from that place of scarcity. He doesn't have that attachment issue in your terms. So we're going to play the clip. We're going to start with Maximus and Marcus as they talk about both their ideas about Rome. Again, that, that bigger picture that where are we headed the vision for the future as home and home. And, and we've heard home is both our origin where we came from and also where we are going. And it is that sense of home that has uh, stabilized Maximus as we jump into this clip. And what is Rome, Maximus? I've seen much of the rest of the world. It is brutal and cruel and dark. Rome is the light. Yet you have never been there. You have not seen what it has become. I am dying, Maximus. 
When a man sees his end, he wants to know there was some purpose to his life. How will the world speak my name in years to come? Will I be known as the philosopher, the warrior, the tyrant? Or will I be the emperor who gave Rome back her true self? There was once a dream that was Rome. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. It was so fragile. And I fear that it will not survive the winter. Maximus, let us whisper now, together, you and I. Tell me about your home. My house is in the hills above Tehillo. Very simple place. Pink stones that warm in the sun. Um, kitchen garden that smells of herbs in the day. Jasmine in the evening. Through the gate is a giant poplar. Figs, apples, pears. The soil, Marcus, black. Black like the, my wife's hair. <laughs> Grapes on the south slopes, olives on the north. Wild ponies playing in my house. They tease my son, he wants to be one of them. When was the last time you were home? Two years, 264 days, and this morning. Oh, I envy you, Maximus. It was a good home. Worth fighting for? There is one more duty that I ask of you before you go home. What would you have me do, Caesar? I want you to become the protector of Rome after I die. I will empower you to one end alone, to give power back to the people of Rome and end the corruption that has crippled it. Won't you accept this great honor that I have offered you? With all my heart, no. Is why it must be you. But surely a prefect, a senator, somebody who knows the city, who understands her politics. But you have not been corrupted by her politics. And Commodus? Commodus is not a moral man. You have known that since you were young. Commodus cannot rule. He must not rule. You're the son that I should have had. And what I noticed as I was listening, as it, early in the conversation when Marcus Aurelius is wrestling with his idea, when a man gets close to the end of his life, what is his legacy? Because mm -hmm. in that moment, he doesn't have that, that sense of his role in the larger story. Mm -hmm. Maximus knew what we do in life echoes in eternity. And now Marcus is saying, how am I going to echo? Here's a man who, as you mentioned, is controlling a quarter of the world. And yet he has doubts and he has questions about his place in it. Yes. And when we have somebody, as he's fathered Commodus, but if he's fathering from that place of brokenness, of lack, of question, yes. you know, and he talks about four years he's had peace, four out of the 20 years. Yes. And how his own questions have shaped his son. 
Yes. To become a man who does not have morals, who must not rule. Yes. And as he'll say later, the failings of the father or the failings of the son are really the failings of the father. We could do a whole retreat on this. <laughs> you earlier, you mentioned the difference between our resume, which is what a lot of us spend a lot of time trying to build. And then the eulogy, which is what he's beginning to ask himself and ask himself. He's asking himself that question because he's coming to the end of his life. What will be said about me in the years to come? Right. The question is, what will people say was my impact on them? Who did I become? Mm. And I wish that I had asked myself that question early because it shapes everything. I was building my resume without realizing the impact that I was having on the people that I loved. And for the most part, in the service of trying to build my resume, I was running over them and I was not loving them well. And so that, by the way, that question begins to get unpacked over and over through, through the movie. Um, later in the movie, Commodus asks himself that question. And even though Maximus doesn't ask himself that question because he knows, we see visually the man that he has become and then the legacy that he leaves because of his actions from that place of wholeheartedness. So I love just the, the, the starting of this. And then he makes the parallel with Rome. Maximus has this beautiful idea of who, the true Rome, the true identity of the, of the nation itself, the, 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 the empire was supposed to be. But then the parallel that, that Marcus Aurelius makes is, is now, that's not true anymore. That's an idea. It's just a whisper. Rome has become corrupt and, and is, is degenerate, and it's politicians ruling and everyone with their own interests trying to fight for power for themselves. And then he asks the question, right, could I be the man who restores Rome to her true self, which speaks to, the, to our identity, even though we, we can be not, not knowing how to wield power and because of our brokenness causing harm to others, there is something truer to each of us. We were created with an image in us to reflect the image of our Father God, and that is truest than our brokenness, and we just need to rescue it. We need to allow and open our hearts for God to come and draw the gold out and allow us, take us through the journey of becoming restorers to our true selves in, in using Marcus uh, Aurelius' own term, terminology. But the phrase that wrecks me every time that I watch this movie is now the commissioning to the new task. There is one more task that I have of you. Just one small favor. <laughs> yeah, while you're on your way home, would you become the protector of Rome, right? Like CEO is a small word for that. You will be like, look at that. I am my, my if you invite me to become that, my chest rises. Oh, I am the protector of Rome. But uh, Maximus understands the weight of that ask, and he doesn't need to chase after power. As you pointed out at the very beginning, all he wants is to be with his wife and with his son. That's where the love and the glory and the joy and the intimacy is found. That's where his heart can come fully alive and he can express the fullness of who he is. And his answer is beautiful. With all my heart, no. I don't want the weight of this power on my shoulders. I don't want this, I don't need it. I don't need to become the um, president of the greatest company in the world to feel that I'm powerful, to feel that I'm the real deal, to know that I have what it takes. I don't need any of that. Please pull it away from me. And Marcus Aurelius' answer is, is perfect. It's, that's why it must be you. Is the, the, the perfect description of how 
Maximus has taken a journey of years of taking the lowest seat of the table, of uh, fighting as a soldier and raising in ranks and loving his people and being with them in the days, in, in the blood, in the sweat and in the tears and serving them well. And over the course of years has become this kind of man who's wholehearted. He has taken a journey of initiation and therefore he doesn't need power. So he's the perfect man to be entrusted with it because he doesn't need it for himself. If he accepts the responsibility, he's going to do it for the sake of the people, not for the sake of his bank account, not for the sake of his name, not for the sake of the title in his business card, but <laughs> in love, to bring his strength in love on behalf of Rome, to rescue it. Because he'll see a job that needs to be done and he'll do it. Right. And that doesn't define his identity. He doesn't need to become the protector of Rome. He knows who he is. It would be one more job that is going to require a lot of him, a lot of sacrifice, more time away from family. But out of a sense of uh, love and duty, he's, he's willing to do it. He actually chooses to take it, even though he doesn't get to. Right. And then the contrast, right? And why not Commodus? Because he's not a moral man. He has not taken this journey. He has not been initiated. His heart, his heart is not whole. He's broken. There is this, and he describes him as not a moral man. He cannot rule, which is what we see in most, you know, sadly in a lot of companies and churches and ministries, is people who need power to answer the questions of their souls, but who are, haven't taken the journey and therefore are not ready to, to wield that power well in love for the people. And therefore the pastor gets, a, you know, discovered having an affair with the secretary or the financial scams because they had not taken that journey. And oh my God, how I wish that I could have taken that journey earlier, that I would not have caused the harm that I caused to my wife, to my children, to the people around me. And thank God it's we're on time. Yes. And we can be on this journey. We are on this journey to become wholehearted so that whatever portion God has for us, we can wield in love if in love for the sake of the people that, that we love, the people around us. And, and love is at the core of the problem as we shift our, our gaze towards Commodus. Because it's very easy to look at, you know, in many movies, the bad guy is very one-dimensional. He's very yes. easy to dislike, very easy to hate. And I found myself, in a lot of ways, relating less to Maximus and more to Commodus in this movie because he is a sympathetic figure. Yes. Because he's not doing bad things because he's a really wants to be bad. As I mentioned, you see it as he's always desperately searching for love. And and yep. with the weird, you know, interactions with his sister, what that is is his search for love is turned sexual. Right. What he wants is his father's approval. And when he doesn't get that, he has to look everywhere else. Right. And it starts with that. When when Commodus goes to to with Maximus, uh, Marcus Aurelius now goes to Commodus to share with him that he's not going to rule, that he's not going to become emperor. The, he's in tears. Like you see his wounded heart coming out, saying to his dad, I only wanted to please you. I, I wanted to make you proud. Uh, sobbing, right? He's recognizing the lack of love and validation from his own dad. That's all that I've ever wanted, dad. I identified so much right with him right in my, in my story my dad was absent he was gone from the moment that my parents separated and got divorced when i was around five 
And I didn't have those words from him. And anything that I had to face in life, I was facing by myself alone without having someone to coach me and to tell me, you see, you're the real deal. You're awesome. And that shaped me. Years and years later, I find myself now acting in in a way, as you're saying, not because I was evil. I never wanted to cause harm, but I was desperately searching for the answer to those questions. Do you love me? And are you proud of me? Do do I have what it takes? Tell me that I'm the real deal. Teach me. Right? And, And so he... Commodus goes to Marcus Aurelius to say, you gave me this list of virtues, and I know that I don't have any of those, but I have these other ones. Why don't you approve me for who I am? Why do I need to become someone different? It's it's heart-wrenching, because what we see in Maximus, a grown-up man, is really the voice of a boy who's crying out to his dad, would you please love me? And it's the story of most men. It's the story of most of us. You wrote to me once listing the four chief virtues. Wisdom, justice, fortitude, and temperance. As I read the list, I knew I had none of them. But I have other virtues, Father. Ambition. That can be a virtue when it drives us to excel. Resourcefulness. Courage, perhaps not on the battlefield, but there are many forms of courage. Devotion to my family, to you. But none of my virtues won your list. Even then it was as if you didn't want me for your son. Oh, Commodus, you go too far. I search the faces of the gods for ways to please you, to make you proud. One kind word, one full hug, where you pressed me to your chest and held me tight. It would have been like the sum of my heart for a thousand years. What is it in me you hate so much? All I've ever wanted was to live up to Caesar, father. And then as he's taking his father to his chest and actually smothering him and killing him, he says, I would butcher the world if you would only have loved me. That's, That's the story of us. Right. I've done whatever it took to receive the love and the validation from my dad. And in the absence of that, that's where the, where, where the monster is born. So he was not a monster when, when he was born, right? Okay. He was forged by the war against his heart. He became that man from the message, from the wounds that he received from his own dad and the message of those wounds that you're not enough, that you're not, you don't you know, feed my requirements, your virtues are not in my list, you're a disappointment. And I, therefore, I will not even give you the chance to receive your inheritance as, as a leader. That's what gives birth to the monster. It is what gives birth to what we would describe internally our false self. And therefore, in the absence of having received love and validation from his own dad, he needs to go search for it anywhere else he can find it. And 
right? Work is one. So I need the power and I am lonely and I need my my heart to be soothed and, and to and to receive nourishment and tenderness. And he twists that and makes it sexually with his with his uh, own sister, as you mentioned, Paul. Uh, it's all twisted from that point on. It's 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 not it was not God's plan for him. Right. There was a war against his heart, and he was a big casualty. And now he became part of the war, the, the war himself as, as the evil one. The evil one is born. The next piece that I see from the, here now is the parallel of, of how Commodus's broken heart and the effect that it has on who he is becoming uh, begins to take certain effects. And then we see the parallel with Maximus. Maximus, on the other hand, wants to defend Wants to wants to fight for the true emperor, and obviously we know in the movie, Commodus kills his dad, and orders the execution of Maximus and the murder of his wife and his and his son. So he rips everything from Maximus. Maximus survives the assassination assault. He's wounded, but he's able to kill the the guards. He runs to his home to try to fight for his wife and and son. And when he arrives, it's too late. They have been killed. And he just collapses on the ground, completely heartbroken, and is taken as a slave. And so he is forced from being in this position of power as the general of the of the northern armies, as, as the favorite of, of the emperor himself, he becomes a slave. He takes by force, ends up taking the lowest seat at the table, which is something out of his control like a lot of circumstances mm -hmm. in our life are completely out of our control. And those circumstances become the test for what kind of men we have become. And so the contrast between these men, these glorious Maximus, who is stripped down of his power and his dignity and his family and everything that he loves, and is sold as a slave. And the contrast is with Commodus now arriving back at Rome as a hero, right? Writing this, with this army of people behind him and the accolades and the and the entire, you know, the, all the population of Rome welcoming him, even though they're speaking crap behind his back. Right. <laughs> they know who he is. Beautiful contrast, not, right? Now, Commodus acquires the power. Maximus lost all his power. The question is, what kind of men are we going to see in that circumstance? And I, I begin to see in Commodus a lot of what I saw early on in life in my career. He begins uh, the interactions with the Senate. The Senate bring him all the needs of the people of Rome. We need to build this. They are starving here. We need to solve these needs for them. And you see in him the emotional reaction. He feels attacked. Right. And therefore he begins to dismiss the Senate. He think, begins to think about um, dissolving the Senate because they are the ones exposing him for what he actually believes he is, that he doesn't have what it takes. These are the people who are going to expose my weakness. I will shut them down. Mm. And what will I do? I will give the people what they want so that they love me, so that I, I can receive the love that I long for. And he chooses to do this 150 days of games and the, the, bring the gladiators back to Rome. In the meantime, what, what's happening with Maximus is he's stripped of everything. He's stripped of his power, but he's still himself. And so at the beginning, he doesn't want to fight, but he's thrown in the lion's end, literally. And he begins to fight for his life and to fight for the people around him, the, the other slaves with him. 
And so little by little, he begins to show his strength in love on behalf of the people that are now entrusted to him. He begins to build his band of brothers and to fight for them, for his survival and the, the, the survival of the people around him without the need for power, without having anything, but he's still bringing his strength in love around the people that have been entrusted uh, to him in that place, in that lowest seat at the table in our language. It's interesting because his true identity, his true name was protector. Mm. Marcus saw that. And so many of us in that moment where he rushes back and is unable to protect those closest to him. But we don't know what that might have rescued him from. Yes. Because you, as we mentioned, you, we know from his heart, he would have gone to Rome and that would have killed him. Yes. Because you have Commodus scheming. You'd have all the politics. He, yes. he, I don't think he would have been able to manage that. And so his, what felt like devastation, and it is, it is devastation, mm-hmm. but it is, it can be both and. It can be both devastation and a rescue. Right. And as he goes into the, the gladiator arenas, he is a protector. He is, as you mentioned, fighting for the men who are beside him. Yes. He can't help it. <laughs> expression of who he is. And I begin to ask them my question, who am I? Mm. Like, what if I could have a revelation from God of the man that I am, the man that he created when that he thought of when he thought of me, right? From scripture, if God thought of me even before the foundation of the world and he chose me to, you know, be born here and, and to exist in this time and, and, and this season of life and of the story, who was he thinking of when he thought of me? And how much of that may I not have discovered yet? Mm. And it instills in me this curiosity to go to my God and say, would you reveal more of that in me? I want to know who I am. Because if I know who I am, therefore I can begin acting accordingly. And you can lead me in the process of initiation to become who I really am. Which is what I see again in in Maximus. He's acting accordingly to his identity. You're mentioning it. You're saying it so clearly. He is a protector and therefore he acts as a protector. If I think that I am a thief, then I steal, I rob. If I think that I'm just a sinner saved by grace, then I'm doomed. I'm going to keep sinning and hoping that God, you know, forgives me again. And he does. But if, what if I instead read scripture and, and, and see how Paul refers to me as a saint, the saints of Corinth and the saints of each one of the cities, it determines everything. It's, it's the movie explains or portrays very clearly how that battle is at the level of the heart and is for our identity. Commodus doesn't know who he is. He's asking. Commodus the merciful, Commodus the tyrant. Instead, Maximus knows who he is and therefore he acts accordingly. It's beautiful. And so we do, we, we, we're going to come up to this scene where um, Maximus gets to Rome. He has a great victory. His entire intent is to come face to face with Commodus to kill him. Yes. And I, I, I wonder because all along I thought, well, it's a, it's revenge, right? You took everything from me, so I'm going to take you. However, what did Marcus Aurelius say? Commodus cannot rule. He mm-hmm. must not rule. Yes. So as I watched this movie, I didn't see, I'm sure there was a piece of it, 
of, of the revenge and vengeance and all that. But I think there's also the piece of, well, I'm fulfilling the dying wish or the wish, the final wish of a dying man, as he says. Correct. And we will see that later on. He yeah. actually he will verbalize what he has accomplished at the end of the movie. So here I've, I've kind of spliced a couple of clips because, so what we've got is uh, Maximus is revealed. And then we see how Commodus responds to the revelation of, of Maximus's resurrection and rebirth, apparently. How dare you show your back to me? Slave! You will remove your helmet and tell me your name. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Why is he still alive? I don't know. He shouldn't be alive. It vexes me. I'm terribly vexed. I did what I had to do. The father had had his way. The empire would have been torn apart. They lied to me in Germania. They told me he was dead. If they lie to me, they don't respect me. If they don't respect me, how can they ever love me? And now they love Maximus for his mercy. So I can't just kill him or it makes me even more unmerciful. The whole thing's like some crazy nightmare. He is defying you. His every victory is an act of defiance. The mob sees this and so do the Senate. Every day he lives, they grow bolder. Kill him. No. I will not make a martyr of him. As the fighting and as Maximus has grown through the gladiator ranks, you actually see he does the opposite of what the crowd yells for him to do. Mm -hmm. He kills them quickly. He does not give them a show. And that's the big, are you not entertained? Yes. He does not kill when they call for him to kill. He refuses and he is not driven by the crowd again, because he knows where home is. And in this moment, he did say, I will have my vengeance because in that moment he is where he still is angry and vengeance. And he hasn't, he's become sort of the base version of himself. It's only when uh, Lucida comes and says, we need you to restore Rome that he begins to see his role in the bigger story, not just to kill the person who killed, took away his everything, his life but to restore a greater reality in the future. Yes, I, I love it. I love the clip. He shows up in front of Commodus with a, with a helmet that is actually covering his face. Obviously, right? He doesn't want to be revealed as who he is because he has a death sentence on him. And so the first, Commodus comes to him and calls him slave. That's the name given by the enemy to Maximus which makes me wonder what are the names that I have been, that have been given to me that are not God given. 
what I have been called at work and or by my dad through his wounding or um, th- what have I come to believe about myself? And he is a slave. He is a gladiator, but he is not, right? Even though that's his, his current circumstance, there is something deeper about him and he knows who he is. And so he first gives his back to Camelos. Yeah. Slave, who are you to turn your back against me? Would you remove your helmet and, and let, us, let us see who you really are? Would you reveal your true identity? And so back to that question, if I only knew what is my God-given identity, would I have the strength to reveal that identity in the different moments of my life? When I'm in a business meeting and I believe that the conversation that they're having, my boss and this other important person, uh, and I disagree with them, do I have the strength and the backbone to, in love, remove my mask and say, and call them out for what they're doing? Do I have the strength to go and protect uh, someone who doesn't have the strength to protect himself and he's being bullied in some capacity? Do I have the strength to call someone out when he's making the wrong choice? Do I have the strength to wield the power given to me in the service of love? And so that's the risk. But in removing the mask, what's at stake is his own life. He knows that he could lose his life most likely he will. And what is he going to choose to do? What am I going to choose when I feel that if I reveal my true identity, right, it feels like death. Mm -hmm. And he chooses to do so. It's right out of scripture, right? He who tries to save his life will lose it. And therefore he turns around and removes his mask and lets the world deal with the weight of who he is. This is my true identity, whether you like it or not. You can call me slave, but I am Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of, of, of the north, and so on and so forth. This is my true identity, and you will not strip it, strip it from me. Even if you kill my wife and son, even if you sell me as a slave, that doesn't change who I am. And I will continue operating from who I am, regardless of my circumstances. Not just in triumph, not just when he's the general with the accolades, earning the respect and honor of everyone because he's a big deal, because he made the sale, because he accomplished the project, because he came through for his boss. But in the moment of hardest, the hardest moment of his life, when he's been stripped of everything, the thing that he cannot be stripped of is his true identity. This is who I am, and I will not move from this place. Even if you kill me, I will have my vengeance in the next life, right? Which is awesome because he has a kingdom perspective. I, don't, I choose not to do this because I am afraid of losing my home or doing this. Even when I feel that God is calling me to, do, to take big risks, how hard it is to actually trust him and jump in. Maximus knows, even if you kill me right now, everything will be restored to me in the kingdom where Jesus comes. Right? That, that, that kingdom-centric view of the world, worldview, that anchors his soul and allows him to operate from his true identity. And the effect, as you say, Right? First, Commodus, the effect on him, he begins, his lip begins to quiver. Mm-hmm. He is completely exposed. He has no idea what to do. And even though he calls and he puts his thumb down, uh, up to, so he, puts, he has to put his thumb up and give him life because the entire crowd is calling, live, 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 which I see as a representation of that when we operate out of our true identity in God in bold ways, we're given permission to people to do the same. And there's something in the arena that they had never seen before. And at that moment, the revelation of his true identity, he has more power than the emperor himself. 
which is mind blowing. And that's what begin to shift the, all the politics and everyone is like, we, this is the guy who can save Rome because he's not, to your point, he's not following the roar of the crowd. He doesn't care what the crowd says. He doesn't care what Commodus does. He is being authentic for who he truly is. That's a man I, we can follow. That's a man willing to be entrusted with power. And then the effect on Commodus that you just played is, is a wreck. Like he, he doesn't know what to do with that. And people will love him and call him the merciful. Yeah. Instead yeah. of me, they will not love me which is what he needs, what he's longing for, just the love of the crowd, the love of the people. Because we think if they, if they love him, they can't love me. It's always that either or, it's not both and. Correct. And as we find, as we have found through our lives, the, the harder, as you mentioned, the harder we t- try to hold on to things, the more it slips through his grasp. Right. And we see Lucius, um, his nephew, Commodus's nephew, he plays gladiator and he says, I'm Maximus, the savior of Rome. Right. And that reveals that Commodus's sister, Lucida had gone and, and been orchestrating things and manipulating and scheming because his brother, as she said, my brother hates the world mm-hmm. because they loved you and not him. Like that's the whole source of his pain. That's his motivation is that, that harming and that wounding that we have all actually experienced at some point or another, somebody else has been selected. Somebody else has been chosen. We have experienced the dark side of the moon where we're not in the sun. We're not shined upon. We feel cast aside. And how do we respond to that? Do we respond out of our identity and who we are going back to Maximus's conversation with Marcus? Remember he names him the protector of Rome. Yes. And in those moments, as from that moment where he is unmasked, he begins claiming that position of protector of Rome. I will do this. I will kill Commodus. And then the fate of Rome is in your hands, Senator. Mm -hmm. What happens next is up to you. I don't want it. I don't care. Yeah. I'm going to show up with my army and disappear because I want none of it. I'm protecting the vision of the one who was my father. Exactly. Which is, I think you just nailed it right on the head because that's at the core. It's again, that relationship between father and son, Mm -hmm. the one who was like his father, the desires of his father, and he wants to honor him with the, with what he entrusted, entrusted him with. And so the Senator asks, asks him, would you bring your army and gain power over all Rome and then give it away? Like, who are you? That doesn't happen. Well, it happens for Maximus because he's taking the journey, because he knows who he is, because he is Maximus and because he is a son. So he doesn't have the scarcity mentality. He doesn't need the power. He doesn't need the control to fill the void that the orphan heart of Commodus mm. has. Right? Is that fight to receive the love and the validation from the father. Even Commodus himself tells that to Maximus before that last battle is that this makes us brothers, right? But it is the longing, it is from the place of sun. I don't have to strive for love and validation, but from love and validation, having received the proper love and the validation, then I can bring my strength in love because I have nothing to lose. But in the absence for it, I need to fight for it, for the love and for the validation. They call for you. 
that general who became a slave, the slave who became a gladiator, the gladiator who defied an emperor. A striking story. Now that people want to know how the story ends, only a famous death will do. And what could be more glorious than to challenge the Emperor himself in the great arena? You would fight me. Why not? Do you think I'm afraid? I think you have been afraid all your life. Unlike Maximus the Invincible, who knows no fear. <laughs> Are you a man who once said death smiles at us all? All a man can do is smile back. I wonder, did your friend smile at his own death? You must know. He was your father. You loved my father, I know. But so did I. That makes us brothers, doesn't it? And I love that that line. Both Pablo and I both made eye contact and we're nodding at that. You've been afraid your whole life. And it is the life of someone who's been plagued by shame and fear in the absence of love and validation. That was my story, Paul. Um, fear constantly, fear that I didn't have what it takes, fear that when challenges would come, it would be ex I would be exposed for not being a real deal, not being the real deal, not having what it takes to fight for my wife or to come through at work or whatever. And so I would double down on the things where I felt secure, where I felt competent, and I would shy away from everything else out of fear of being exposed. Fear and shame plagued me most of my life, and it's what plagues Commodus. Yeah. And it plagues all of us. It's why yes. we work long hours because we feel like failures at home. Correct. Or as, as we mentioned, you mentioned before, it's the, the two sort of areas we go to is work and women. Yeah. Uh, those are the two easy ways to feel like men. And he goes and embraces him, but then stabs him, you know, even, even to the end, he's got to manipulate and he's got to kind of set the, you know, stack the deck so that he will win. Or right. at least so he thinks. Right. And hopefully by winning, he will get the applause and the love of the crowd that will soothe the ache in his heart. And what we find out is even when you get it, as um, we talk a lot about this idea of arriving or achieving, but it's all, those are all empty lovers. Because yes. had he killed Maximus, he still would have had himself to deal with. Correct. Right. And we still have ourselves to deal with. Yes, even with the roar of the crowd and the love of people, he would have known internally that he killed him, that he cheated. He, he wouldn't have continued to know in, in, in his heart that if people really knew who he was, they would not love him. They mm -hmm. would reject him, which is what shame speaks to each of us. All those years that I dealt with pornography and I was a hidden addiction, that was the thing inside my soul. If people knew about this, I would be exposed. They would see something in me that I don't want people to see. And therefore I kept it quiet and I didn't talk about that. And I didn't pursue the healing because I was ashamed and afraid of what people would say about me. I was longing for the love and the validation. And I thought if people see through 
my facade and, and really see the condition of my soul, they will reject me. They will, they will not. What will be said about me is the question that they keep repeating to the, question, to the movie. I was afraid of that. That was one of my greatest moments of disruption was when one of our mentors invited me to write down the things that I was afraid people would say about me on a private conversation when I was not around. Oh my goodness, that's, that's not, I don't even want to go there. But on the other hand, the flip side, God, who do you say I am? And therefore, receiving the freedom to begin to walk towards becoming that man God is, says who I am and become, over time, more like the Maximus and less like the Commodus. And that's, I mean, that's what the Bible says, you know, it says put to death, basically the old self, the things of the flesh yep. and pursue the, th the fruit of the spirit. And it's like, yes. no, I'm choosing the fruit and I'm going to crucify the, the old man, the death. I'm crucifying the Commodus within me. Yes. And discover that even though I was, I thought it was my, me as a tree would bear a certain kind of fruit that I'm actually not, that, that the seed planted in my heart is good. And therefore my heart is good. And I can bear good fruit if I go through a journey of restoration and initiation. That's the, the seed is good. Yes. A good seed will produce good fruit. It's, and that's a true identity. That's the deepest thing about us. Even though I may, um, my behavior may not align with my true identity, my identity is still intact. What I need is to heal my heart, to become wholehearted, so that my beliefs and my actions and my behaviors align with the reality of my true identity in God. And that takes a journey. It takes a process like it took for, for Maximus to become who he became. Yeah, we don't have a timeline, but it takes a while to go from, you know, he had gotten injured and journeying to Spain and then becoming a slave and healing from his wounds and then fighting through the ranks to become someone who would go to Rome. Like we don't, I would think it would take months in order to get to that position. At minimum, because yeah. we know that his house is in Spain, and then he's treated as a, traded as a slave, and they go to, through Africa to come back to Rome. So that was not a journey of a weekend, right? <laughs> and, and even before that, how long it took for Maximus to become Maximus, to become that general that he had become at the beginning of the movie. There is a hint to that conversation at, at one point. I think Lucille is, is dis discussing this either with a senator or with Commodus himself where they're describing how Maximus is not the man that he used to be. Yeah. And even then when Maximus encounters Lucille, they are talking about, they clearly had something between them at some point. And the description is a lot of things have changed. And then she says, but some things haven't talking about probably her, her yeah. longing for him. But what, what they're making clear is that whatever the journey has been, the Maximus that we encounter on the first scene, this great general is not the man that he was at the beginning. Just like everyone, we see it in the scripture, right? We see it with Paul, right? He encounters uh, Jesus and this falls from the horse and all of this happens and he disappears for over a decade. It takes time to go through the journey of restoration and initiation, but it's worth it. It's completely worth it. I go back to what Commodus said, the, the general who became a, a slave, who became a, and to me, that's almost a picture of the story of Jesus, right? He's the the king of creation, and he comes down and becomes a man. Yes. And this man becomes a carpenter. Yes. And he divided the empire, emperor, because he did. The Satan is the prince of this world. Yes. And he defied him and brought freedom. And that's what we yes. hear in this last clip of the whole purpose 
for yes. everything that Maximus has gone through comes out after he does do what he said he would do. He's a man of honor. He kills Commodus and this one, his, his, his dying wish is passed on. Maximus. Quintus. Free my men. Senator Gracchus is to be reinstated. There was a dream that was Rome. It shall be realized. These are the wishes of Marcus Aurelius. Free the prisoners. Go. And I would encourage you, and I'll, I'll put a link in this in the resources on the website, to watch the full YouTube of, because it's about five or six minutes, but it's all visual. And then he gets to the end and, and his friend buries his, the little figures of his wife and daughter, because now he knows that actually Maximus is home. He knows that he's with his family. Yes. And in, in that powerful moment, he's like, I will see you again, but not yet. But not yet. We still have a mission here. Yes. And you said it's such a beautiful picture of the gospel, the sacrifice that Jesus came to offer on our behalf to set us free. Um, it captured my heart. Um, once again, as I was watching the movie, it got me to tears. Lucille runs to him. And by the way, once again, the contrast, everyone surrounds Maximus dying, <laughs> and the body of the emperor of Rome is tossed somewhere on the side. Forgotten, and, ignored. Right? Lonely, alone. And, and she runs to him and kneels before him, and his answer is not, we killed Commodus, none of that. It's, your son is safe. Mm. He sacrificed himself for the people that he loved. And he knew that this, you know, Lucille through the movie describes how fearful she is of her own son because he is the, the, the rightful heir to the throne. And therefore he could be at risk of being killed by Commodus at any time. And, and it was Maximus giving his life for his men, free my men, including this boy who was innocent and, and Lucille just loses it, honor him. He was a soldier of Rome, right? It's like the eulogy. Begins, she begins to describe the kind of man that he was and how everyone should come and honor him, who would carry his body and his band of brothers come. Yeah. The men who have bled and, and died almost by his side come and honor him and carry him, including Lucille's son, Lucius. They take him away, they honor him. And then those beautiful words by Java, his friend, we will see you again. But not yet. Now we have a mission. And Jesus has passed down his mission to us, for us to continue fighting for our own hearts and for the hearts of the people around us. And we will see him again, but not yet. Well, Pablo, thank you very much for joining me, for being a part of this conversation. Uh, it's been awesome. I've loved it. I've learned a lot. I got a lot out of it. Yeah, me too. Thank you, Paul. Would it be okay for us to close in prayer? Please. Father, thank you for this opportunity, and we pray together, Paul and I, and we pray together with uh, our listeners. And we come before you with this question, who have I become? But more importantly, who will I become? So we bring this question before you, Father. We bring our questions of love and validation before you, asking you, 
to answer us. Would you love me like a father? Would you validate me like a father? I ask for forgiveness for all the places where I have taken my questions, all the places where I have searched for love and validation, places, the moments where I have taken that question to work or to women or to any of the wrong places where I have taken them. I ask your forgiveness. And I ask for me and for Paul and for all the men and women listening that you would be the one coming to answer those questions on our behalf. We ask for a deep and true revelation of our true name so that just like Maximus, we may be able to bring that name, bring our God-given identity in the service of the people that you're placing under our care. We ask for more of you. And we give you thanks for the joy of this movie, for the messaging of this movie. And we open the gates of our hearts so that you may come in and continue doing in us what you want to do. Restore us, heal us, and set us free. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before. But if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Who am I to be?